Doors closing. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for the Pie Factory Podcast. And, um, hello, 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 um, yeah, this is, um, Sean, I guess, and, uh, this is indeed the Pie Factory podcast episode number 72, in which Doris gets her oats. Uh, Did I say my name yet? Did I say I'm Sean yet? Um, I don't know. I can barely hear you. I don't know. Can you barely hear me now? Oh, I can hear you fine now. Oh, good. Well, uh... Um, well, trials I, and tribulations of having a sound. Yeah, I, yeah, exactly. You know what? I can probably de-boost the sound of the soundboard. Uh, oh, wow. This is, um, wow. Everybody, you may have, uh, you may have noticed that we have begun the episode, uh, about an hour later than usual. I apologize to everybody for you hearing this podcast an hour late. So, uh, oh, that's that's just the way things go sometimes when you're living up here in the Yukon. So, oh well. You know, one thing I've been looking at lately is I've been looking at maps and uh, duh, really uh, of like uh, of, of um, and tourist information of towns like above the Arctic Circle, like um, uh, what was it uh, Inuvik, which is the uh, the capital of the Canadian territory of uh, Nunavut, and uh, wait, wait, no, 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 Iqaluit. I think it's a quality uh, and other towns like Yellowknife and whatever. And a lot of the and one thing I've noticed about a couple of these towns that you can only get to by, say, like airplane or boat is they have uh, a KFC slash Pizza Hut Express. <laughs> they don't even have a Subway or a Starbucks, but they have a KFC Pizza Hut Express. I Which thought that was isn't even a real KFC or Pizza Hut. No, no, not really. But I just thought that was quite interesting. It's basically just whatever vendor they can have whip together some pizzas and they throw the Pizza Hut name on it. To be perfectly honest, I would actually love to do the drive uh, up the Alaska Highway and up the, I believe, the Dalton Highway up to uh, Yellowknife Northwest Territories. I've been doing a lot of looking there. That's uh, their tourism information. You know, it's not quite above the Arctic Circle. Uh, there's only one road to get to it. It is paved. They just opened a bridge over the McKenzie River. Ooh. Okay, uh, about in, what, 2012, 2013. Oh. And so you can drive all the way there now uh, without taking a ferry boat across the river. And uh, it's like 25,000 people. It's like the seat wow. of government there. Uh, it used to be a huge gold mining town, uh, but the gold mines petered out. Now it's a huge diamond mining town. And uh, so it's government, tourism, and diamond mining are their industries there. And I'm like, and they've got like a Walmart, and they've got oh. Pizza Hut, duh, and they've got um, McDonald's, and like everything you could possibly want. Uh, so they in have a McDonald's town. and everything you could possibly want. Yeah, so that's yeah exactly. Good. It's good. And uh, it's just totally freaking amazing. I'm like, dude, I got to go here. And uh, it looks like looks be like beautiful country up there too. Oh, so. I've been to Toronto, um, and it's nice. Uh, or as they say in Toronto, Toronto, T R O N N O, Toronto, Toronto. I've been to Vancouver, British Columbia. I've been to Kamloops, British Columbia, and I've been to uh, Thunder Bay, Ontario. You know who's from Thunder Bay? Uh, the Beatles. Paul Schaefer. Really? Yeah, Paul Schaefer, David Letterman fame. Oh, okay. Yeah. So. But at any rate, 
That's like the Canadian corner, eh? Wow. I'm just very weary, so I, I, I'm trying to think of, like, words to pronounce. Like, uh, I don't know. Uh, say, uh, Jimmy, um, G, um, have you played any, uh, video games since the last time we podcasted back when we were timonized? Timonized for your protection. Um, yes, actually I have. Um, I've oh. been playing some more on my, uh, You've been playing some moron? What yeah. moron have you been playing? Uh, Mario, actually. Oh, that, that uh, we is got a, moron. a Nintendo Switch and uh, Super Mario Odyssey, and oh. holy crap, that's an amazing game! <laughs> uh, a new power Mario has in this game—he can he can throw his hat and like possess the hat possesses like. You Does know, that turn him some... into Meat Raffle Mario? Well, uh, early on in the game, you can throw the hat at a gigantic dinosaur and go rampaging around a level, and then that is like the most satisfying thing in the freaking world. Uh, seriously, it is a freaking amazing game. It's beautiful. It's clever. It's just the right difficulty level, the exception of the boss I'm currently stuck on, even though my kids have already gotten past it. My daughter's like, oh, dad, let me help you get past this. I'm like, no, 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 I'm doing this. Get away from the, the Joy-Cons or whatever they call. But, um, I haven't played my 7800 or my Sega Master System in a while. Um, I've done a little more playing on my, uh, 65XE. And uh, especially one of the games we're talking about tonight. Um, I, I think one of the games we're talking about. I think both the games we're talking about tonight are available on it. Sort of, yeah. One so, I think was a prototype, actually. Yeah. And but, uh, um, fun fact: uh, that 65 XE used to belong to my brother. Indeed, it did. Yes, I do. Actually, I got off. Of, and that's something else. If anybody has any suggestions for, um, I want to upgrade the RAM in this thing. And uh, this is actually probably, uh, from what I'm looking at, the hardest machine to upgrade memory in. Really? Um, somebody on Atari Age created a uh, a, a, a memory upgrade uh, that plugs right into the cartridge port for the 65XE and for the, what was it, the 130XE. And um, it's got a pass-through so you can put a cartridge in there and still play your games. It won't work on mine because the cartridge port on on this one is missing a secondary port that I would have to install, and so it looks like no matter what I do, I'm going to have to do some uh, do some uh, some soldering, and I don't want to do that. But uh, I've already talked to Mike Bowler, and he's uh, he's uh, said that uh, uh, he'd be willing to do some upgrades for on it for me if uh, just let him know. So I used to talk a while back about trying to build a. Uh, a uh, set of paddles for the 2600 yes. using slide pots. Uh, he's actually, uh, he took my idea and he's running with it. <laughs> so I'm hoping to uh, to hear about that before too long. Uh, I'm, I'm actually kind of excited. I was going to do it because it didn't sound like it would be that hard to do. But um, I don't know much about electronics. He did loan me uh, some beginner's electronics books a while back when he did my 7800. Uh, did the, uh, the the video upgrade for me. So, but uh, I haven't actually gotten a chance to crack those open yet. But uh, he's a good guy. Uh, listen to his podcast, uh, Skeptic's Guide to Conspiracy. It's a weekly or sometimes biweekly uh, podcast about uh, conspiracies in the news, and uh, he takes a strong skeptical uh, approach to them. And you know, and I know we've said this before about his podcast, but link in the show notes. Yep. And uh, I wanted to mention something uh, earlier uh, about us, an idea for a special episode. I put it in the in the. Uh, in the uh, cabinet, in the cabinet, in the spreadsheet. So, anyway, <clears throat> so that's what I've been doing, and uh, I've been thinking about picking up uh, the uh, the new Legend of Zelda game on the Switch, which looks really good. Oh, yeah, and uh, 
Oh shoot, I didn't. I forgot to do this. Um, but uh, there are. We talked a long time ago. We talked about uh, the versus Super Mario, uh, and really the uh, the versus cabinet for Nintendo arcade games. Yes. And uh, versus Super Mario Brothers is on the Nintendo Switch in the uh, what do they call it? Nintendo Store or whatever. Uh, I think it's like seven bucks. So uh, you know you can get that particular version of Super Mario Brothers for the Switch. Of course, it's not the one that was available on the NES. It was the arcade, much harder version. But uh, you know, it's still still fun. So uh, you know, have at it. Did I do good? I don't know. Hmm. Okay, so yeah, that's what I've been doing. I'm not I'm not a Nintendo fan at all. I re- I'm really not. So I can't I can't really say if you did good. I used to be a huge fan of Nintendo uh, when the, when the NES first came out in the United States. And then it had, uh, but then I started reading up about all their, what I considered shady business practices they would do, which uh, I consider partial for the, uh, partially one of the reasons why the 7800 didn't take off, because it affected the software library of all their competitors. And really, I, I blame that also for uh, one of the one of the reasons why the Sega Master System didn't take off, as well as it probably could have. Obviously, there are other reasons, that's, and that's probably a minor reason, but Still, I mean, they locked up, Nintendo locked up all of the, those things, but eventually Nintendo started uh, relaxing their policies and that, and they got rid of the exclusivity. And I understand why they did all of that, because they didn't want to have another um, uh, video game crash, but uh, it still kind of, you know, sucked. But, uh, you know, I, 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 I like Nintendo. I harbor no ill will against them. I'd rather play a Nintendo than a Xbox of any sort, or a PlayStation of any sort other than the first two, which I've actually never played anything other than the first one. But uh, other than that, yeah. I think I know what it is and why I could never really latch on to modern video games. Hmm. And it was Tim Evans, of all people. Well, I shouldn't say of all people. but uh, <laughs> Of all the people you know. All the people I know. It was Tim Evans who was really able to like kind of bring it home for me. I remember hearing him talk about it on Super Podcast Brothers some time ago. When... We first started playing video, like home video games, Atari and television, those kind of things. The whole point was to bring the arcade experience home. Right. But, but Nintendo's approach was completely different. It wasn't even considering the arcade when it, when the uh, NES came out. And that's kind of what led the way to, I guess, to, uh, that, that just started a completely new trend. Like, the arcade isn't even a thought anymore and hasn't been for a long time. And the thing is, that's the kind of video game that I like a game that will bring an arcade like experience home. Um, I would disagree with part of that because the, uh, the original lineup of games for the NES were very hard, uh, arcade, um, arcade heavy. They had, um, they had like, uh, Donkey Kong, Donkey Kong Jr. Popeye, uh, Mario brothers. Uh, and then of course, Nintendo, had all of their versus machines with you know different versions. They they put NES games in the arcade basically, which uh, you know crossed over. I guess that's not really the same thing. But I mean, I mean, Cubert was released for the NES. Gyrus. Uh, now, to be fair, I don't like some of the stuff they did to some of those games. Uh, like I didn't like. I, I played the NES Gyrus a few times. And I didn't like the addition of the boss or any some a lot of that stuff. But. Uh, and, but, you know, they also had Spy Hunter, which was a, really my favorite version of Spy Hunter uh, on the NES. But the thing is that, you know, I think maybe Nintendo saw the writing on the wall with the fate of the arcade. 
and uh, they had to create stuff that people would play at home. I've said it, but I, th- I think Phil, the No Swear Gamer, brought it up first uh, when he was saying that uh, when uh, Adventure, or The Legend of Zelda on the NES is basically uh, Super 2600 Adventure. I mean, it's got a lot of the same elements. Uh, it's just expanded out, really. I mean, it, there's not a whole lot of difference. There's just more detail. It's the same game, more detail. That's well, enough difference that I can't even finish the first one. Even when reading the maps and the guides and things, I still can't. Well, I was able to do it, and I'm older than you. So well, that's of it. Course, you that got, don't mean anything. You have, what, six more years on me? So you had that extra time, you know? What, you're 43? Oh, big time. Oh, I I was thinking you're only 40. Hmm. But, but yeah, I mean, the landscape of the of it's all different. I just wish that they would stop re-releasing the same, like, classic arcade stuff all the time. But, oh, oh. speaking of uh, classic arcades, well, you know what? You know, you, we haven't talked about what you've been playing, though. You did. I, I got something. Yeah, I've got uh, something to bring up that I just found out today. Oh, oh okay. Uh, but we could save that. But yeah, I have har- I've seriously hardly touched my 7800 in a while. And which is crazy considering the other podcast I do. But uh, what I have done, I mentioned in the previous episode that I am no longer a former Vectrex owner. I am a Vectrex owner, period, now. Yay. Sunday, I spent some quality time with my newly acquired Vectrex and the Sean Kelly Multicart 2.5. Oh, wait a minute. Here we go. Uh, Just had to adjust the microphone. There we go. Learn to adjust and, the microphone. Um, let me see. What was it? Oh, yeah. Vectrex, Sean Kelly Multicart 2.5. And the S uh, Kelly Multicart, not the R Kelly yeah. Multicart. I'm going to make that joke every time. Uh, okay. I okay. That's banned. Oh. See, I got to start banning things. I mean, Carrington did it all the time on No Quarter, so now it's my turn. They need a new episode out. It's been like six years since uh, Jeff and Mike have put out a new episode. But I thought to, it's only been a year. I don't know. Um, hey, uh, we're 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 in tight with Mike and Jeff, so oh, of uh, course, you know. yeah, yeah, yeah. I just he's had, the one who <laughs> I just had dinner Jeff with Mike and Jeff five the, minutes ago. Jeff's the one that gave me the Sega Master System, as I've yeah. said before. But his Christmas present. But anyway, the Vector. Anyway. I was. I know that we probably have some listeners who are afraid of Facebook, so they didn't see the video. The live, the live video I did on Facebook when I was going through mainly the games that I used to have when I was a Vectrex owner the first time around. And man, I was discovering some really cool stuff though, because uh, I saw um, when I was going through the multi-cart menu that there was a Tempest demo that I didn't know about. This I think it's a well-known demo, but of course, hey, I'm just getting back into Vectrex and it is awesome. That Tempest demo is amazing. It really is. Hmm, Tempest demo? Tempest demo, yeah. It doesn't keep scores and you don't lose any lives or anything, but it's still like amazing. I just really hope somebody finishes that thing. And it's hmm. just, there was just so much. I played uh, Scramble for a little bit, uh, mm. Clean Sweep, which is the Vectrex Pac Man clone. You, you know, you mentioned Tempest, and I've always said. Imagine what would have happened if Atari Soft started making games for the Vectrex. Oh, man. The Vectrex would have freaking taken off. I think Atari probably would have done their own vector system first. But, um, man, Tempest or Star Wars or Asteroids or, hell, Black Widow on the on the Vectrex. And the thing is, there are homebrew clones of those games. I think there's a homebrew Star Wars 
clone. Oh, there has to be. I got a, a homebrew Star Wars clone on my uh, on my Android phone, and it actually works quite well with touch mm. controls. And what else was was there? There's a I I know there's a homebrew of Omega Race somewhere, but I gotta get myself a Mateos for the Vectrex so I can load it up. Does the Vectrex, the Mateos Vectrex, use the same uh, burner? It uses the same burner, yes. Okay. Oh, that's uh, that's that's quite nice, actually. And uh, so yeah, I played Scrabble. <sighs> oh, my keep me up, Berserk, um, Starhawk. Which I so far is of all the games that I played on the Vectrex so far, that's the only game where I felt, man, I really wish I had the overlay. Because when I first had a Vectrex, I rarely mm-hmm. used the overlays because they didn't really add anything to the game. And in fact, they were kind of distracting because they scratched way too easily. Oh, really? I saw more. The, scratch, the scratches were really, really thin, but they were still easy enough to distract from the gameplay. So I usually mm-hmm. just left them off. But Starhawk, I kind of wished I had, I had the uh, overlay. Uh, I played a little bit of, uh, oh, Armor Attack, Armor Attack. And the thing about Armor Attack, and I really want to cover that someday on this podcast, the arcade version of Armor Attack, there are no walls rendered in the game. It's just basically an open field and your tank and the enemy tanks and the helicopter. The walls, Cinematronics, right? Cinematronics, yeah. And the walls are not, they're not actually rendered graphically. They're part of the overlay. But the problem with the arcade cabinet is that it's so dim, the overlay doesn't really help. It's hard hmm. to see. But on the Vectrex version, it does render the walls, so you don't need an overlay. There was another Cinematronics arcade game, Warrior, that was the same thing. I was playing it in emulation. And uh, what happened was I just kept, I would I would just try to move to the right, and my, my character would just sort of spin and die. I'm like, what the hell? Then I found out later on, that um, the overlay on the game actually had the walls. The walls were not rendered with the vectors, hmm. so you really can't couldn't play it in Mame unless you had the uh, the overlays in Mame, which I have now. But uh, yeah, I thought that was kind of weird. I, I guess I can understand why they did it, but you know, I don't know. And there was ripoff another Cinematronics title. We talked about that already, mm-hmm. but uh, the Vectrex version of that. Oh man, it is astronomically hard it is so freaking difficult it really is a lot more difficult than the arcade version which is a lot more difficult than the 7800 version which it's weird that a home version is more difficult than the arcade version yeah usually it's the other way around because you know they don't want you to they want you to think you've mastered it at home then you get to the arcade and then have your ass handed to you on a silver platter yeah and of course having tim and andy on the show and they were talking about spike i had to try that oh my god that is it is such a, it's it's such a dopey platformer, but I absolutely love it. the The voice synthesis is great. Spike, Molly, Spike. <laughs> oh no, Spike! Darn it! <laughs> now, did you get the? Uh, oh, you've already gotten Atari Vox. Have you tried that out with I the? I have uh, not. I don't know if I have any Atari Vox compatible games on this multi cart. So I'll have to check. I'm, I'm kind of curious about that. Well, that's one system I don't think I would take to uh, take to a show because yeah, uh, I had it shipped to the to the UPS store down the street because I didn't know what was going to happen to it. And in, in mm-hmm. the meantime, I didn't know if they're going to leave it outside or what. So I just had them shipped to the UPS store. And when I went to pick it up, I was like, "Oh my god, this is light! I don't remember the thing being so light." <laughs> Did you ever um, ever get to use the three D imager no, for the Vectrex? I've never seen a three D imager. I got to use it once, years and years back. 
Is it worth the 200 bucks that it's going for? It's weird. Um, I think I've talked about the Sega Master System 3D glasses before, where they're like, where it's like LCD, and then it's like, boom, 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 they, they sh- quick, the LCD turns on and off in each lens real fast, so that it creates an illusion of three dimensions, uh, three-dimensional graphics, and it look, works really good. Of course, you can't use it on modern TVs because of refresh rates and all that, but uh, the Vectrex 3D Imager uses colored discs and this device that sits on your face and this disc spins in front of your eyes. Wow. And it's really bizarre. It works. It works, but yeah, it's really bizarre. Hmm. Yeah, I've I've always heard about it, but I never actually used it. And as far as I know, it only worked on one game. And there was only one game that was compatible with it. I think it was that... Uh, um, there's more than that. Um, besides homebrews. Sold in the US in 84 in limited quantities, blah, 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 blah. Okay, there were three games for it and uh, a unreleased prototype. There was 3D Mindstorm, which was bundled with the unit. Right. Uh, 3D Narrow Escape. 3D Crazy Coaster, which I've played. I don't I don't get it. And 3D Pole Position. which oh, wow. was the unre- 3D Pole Position was the unreleased prototype, which I would have loved to have played that one. I'm surprised at how Pole Position is really good in the Vectrex. I, mean, I was shocked. I didn't think a racing game would render very well, but it actually is pretty good. I was I was impressed. But I've, I, I basically uh, I basically need to get to bed. Oh, man. But uh, Yeah, you and me both. I basically like vegged out on the Vectrex for a while in this past Sunday, and it was I was like, man, I, I need to make sure that I never, ever, ever let this thing go. You know, I'm looking at um, uh, the Video Game Critics website right now, and I have the full, complete list of Vectrex games pulled up here uh, with the with the grades, and I have them sorted by grade. And it just looks to me, just from a cursory glance, it looks like the Vectrex has the lowest percentage of bad games of any system I've seen uh, reviewed on uh, Video Game Critic. Granted, it didn't have a real huge library in the first place. No. But still, it's... Uh, it's only given an F to like four titles uh, that it's reviewed, and uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight Ds hmm. out of however many games they have released. When I was going through the game, I still haven't touched nearly all of the games on the multi-cart yet. There are only two that I didn't like, and they were both homebrews. One was uh, Vector Invaders, and the reason I didn't like it is that it was so freaking slow. Like Vector hit- Vaders. Like you hit the you hit the fire button and the mm. laser your laser moves up really 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 slowly and it was just really okay. annoying. You'll be, you, you'll be happy to hear this. Uh, video game critic gave Vector Vader's a D. However, there's a Vector Vader's two, which the is director's much cut, better. Which yeah, he, he he gave Vector Vader's a D and Vector Vader's two a B. So and I think I know what they did there because keep in mind this is this is all vector graphics, meaning that. Basically, any time you have an angle, that's another calculation being made. Mm-hmm. The graphics in Vector Vaders are pretty close to the actual original Space Invaders. Vector Vaders 2, the graphics are a lot simpler. They're more kind of boxy than anything else. But the game moves at a reasonable pace. Oh, dude, there's a Kaboom homebrew for the Vectrex. Yep. Vaboom. Yep. <laughs> there's a Tour de France game. Hmm. Yeah, I think that's a homebrew, too. And there's, I know it's available on iOS, but uh, what what the heck is it called? It's like Vector or, or Vectrex Reborn or something. I don't remember. 
If you do a search, if you're if you have an iOS device and you search the uh, App Store for Vectrex, you will find it, and it's it's free. I believe. Yeah, I didn't pay for it, but it's it's free. And mm-hmm. the cool thing is, all the Vectrex ROMs are have been declared public domain. I GCE have seen that. actually said, you know what? If you want them, they're yours. So because of that, I mean, normally the i the uh, the folks at Apple don't allow emulation, but since they're public domain ROMs, they can be emulated legally. Mm-hmm. Sweet. Which is why it's available in the in the uh, iOS store thingy whatever that i can't think of but uh, so that's uh vectrex corner huh, that's what i was doing uh, i was playing some uh, vectrex and of course playing the two games um about which we will be talking about in uh, Mom- the 72th episode which is this one momentarily yeah um uh, oh um i got some news uh, do you have any news first well actually yes i do oh do tell there's more information about the Atari box. I thought we ended that. Well, they they announced something. Well, I don't uh, care. I, I just took the other day. I took the, I took Granted, the intro and outro off the off the sound. Yeah, board, don't so. worry about the intro and outro because we're probably not going to talk about it much. But uh, for those keeping score, yeah, they made an announcement the other day, and that announcement is they're going to make an announcement next week at the uh, game developers conference about the Atari box, and that's the announcement they made. Here, let me announce how much I care. There, I'm done. Wait, no crickets? I, when I transferred the soundboard over to my other computer, I didn't put that sound in there. Hyde St. Pierre oh, post-produced the show yeah, badly. <sighs> well, actually, no, he isn't doing post-production yet. No, but this is a let's, pre-production. let's not open up that can of worms right now. Yeah, it is contract and negotiation time. Oh, God. Oh, well, but anyway, um, the news I have... Uh, we're an arcade game podcast, but yet so far we've pretty much just talked about uh, home video games. So, of course, my next... Mm, we've talked news, a little arcade yeah. in relation to home games. My, my next news item is about home video games. There's a store Yay. on the north side of Chicago called People Play Games. and uh, I've heard of them. Yeah. That's actually... The, the Atari 5200 that, that, I, that I traded you for the 600XL, that came from People Play Games. Oh, okay. And uh, they're actually closing soon. Oh, no. The day before uh, the Friday of the weekend of Midwest Gaming Classic, which I believe is April 14th. It's a, Wow, it's a month from right now. Yeah. They are closing, I'm guessing, permanently. The, uh, they posted an announcement on their Facebook page. They said that one of the reasons they're closing is that their building was bought and they have to they have to get out. And well, that I, sucks. I think... I, I'm guessing that the building that they're in, uh, what's going on right now is the Chicago Transit Authority, that is the tra- actual transit authority, not the band, not that Peter later Cetera. became okay. Chicago. Or, what, what's, what's the other guy's name? Robert, Terry, Robert Lamb, Peter Cetera, uh Terry, Terry Kath. Kath. Uh, That's what I was thinking of, okay. And then Terry Kath's replacement, Don Dacus. And anyway, what's happening with the Chicago Transit Authority is right, right in that neighborhood, Right around uh, Belmont and Sheffield, there is a massive train station, subway, if you will, for those of you who uh, have been to New York but not Chicago, except we call it the L, short for elevated. And there's a huge station there where three different train lines stop. There's the red line, the purple line, the brown line. 
and the way the tracks are laid out, the north if there's a northbound uh, brown line train leaving the track there, the red mm-hmm. line has to wait for it to cross. So Chicago Transit Authority, um, with the authorization of our wonderful Mayor Rahm Emanuel, <coughs> excuse me, oh God, oh man, <coughs> sorry, something got in my throat that was really disgusting, um, I, yeah. but uh, decided that it would be a good idea to force some people out of their buildings, knock down the buildings, and build a flyover so that the red line doesn't have to wait for the brown line. So basically to save a few seconds on a commute, they're forcing people out of their businesses. So, yeah. Gee, there's a shocker. I th- one of the buildings, actually, they're, ac- they're actually planning to simply move over. And that's going to be interesting. It's a performance venue called Lynx Hall. They're actually going to relocate it like a block away or something. It's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. But I think, because when I, I rode past people play games on my bike today on my way home, and I was like, wait a minute, this is really close to the, to the, where the tracks are. Maybe this is one of the buildings that uh, the city is going to knock down to stretch out the tracks. So that's mm-hmm. my theory. I don't know. But uh, they're they're closing uh, in mid April. If you're in Chicago between now and then, might want to help them out. Uh, buy a few games from them. Uh, one thing I, I I will have to say, and I hate saying this, but it's the truth. I found their console prices to be ridiculously overpriced, hugely really? overpriced. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it make it makes uh, it makes the ridiculous eBay ones look good. But at the same time, that neighborhood is probably pretty high rent, so I can't really necessarily yeah. blame them and for what it's worth the 5200 i got from there i only paid 50 bucks for it oh did i mention uh speaking of 5200 that i got the uh the best electronics uh yes kit for that yeah it's it's worth the money if you've got malfunctioning uh 5200 joysticks it's easy to install and uh it's worth every penny oh and also there's a new barcade that opened in niles illinois Oh? On, uh, it's like 70-something... Actually, you know what? Let me look up the address. Give me a second here. It's called Izzy's Arcade Bar, and that's at 7421 North Milwaukee Avenue in Niles, Illinois. We've really got to do a a tour of the barcades in in Chicago at some point. Oh, a friend of ours works there. His name's George Spanos. Oh, really? Does he? Yeah. Okay, maybe that's why it sounds familiar. It's in the same location as the Family Entertainment Center he's been working at for years. Oh, because if if you remember from our interview with him, uh, he's basically his whole life. He's worked at family entertainment centers and arcades and stuff. So this is basically nothing new for him. Uh, He's been nagging me to come see it, to come check it out. So I'm going to probably do that uh, sometime soon. You know, maybe we can make a stop on the way back or the way to uh, Midwest Gaming Classic, which uh, we are going to be at uh, next month and almost almost exactly a month. Um, yeah, at least from when when we're recording this, it'll be pretty much exactly a month. Yeah. When we're releasing so. it, it might be the next day for all we know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you never know. Yeah. And uh, should we uh, link that in the show notes? We should link that. <laughs> yeah, probably. And if, I, if uh, Izzy's Arcade Bar has a website, we'll also link that in the show notes as well. 
But uh, I, I don't think I have any further uh, news. Do you have any further news? Oh, and uh, Izzy's Arcade Bar will have uh, does have a Mister uh, Mister Do's Castle, by the way. Uh huh. Which I don't think anybody else in the in our area has. Doc doesn't have it. I could have uh, sworn Doc does. Doc have Mister Do's Wild Ride. I could have sworn. Well, the thing is, I could have sworn I actually did play Mister Do's Castle at Galloping Ghost, but it's not listed on Arcade.com at his site. Uh, somebody hmm. I so I think actually somebody who listens to this podcast uh, I'm not going to name names for just I don't want to incriminate anybody but told me that he actually donated a Mister Do's Castle to Galloping Ghost Arcade and they haven't put it on the floor and I guess Doc doesn't think that people are going to want to play it I want to play it that's kind of a weird game I I'd like to play it because I've I've played it in Mame and it's like oh this is pretty this is pretty fun. You know what? Thinking about it, though, if you think about it, is if you uh, mashed up uh, Mr. Do with Load Runner. Yeah. I think that's a good way of thinking it. Yeah, it is kind of a good way to think of it. But uh, anyway. Uh, wow, else? you really are tired. Anything else? Oh, man. I, had, I got no sleep last night. I had, a, I had a really rough day, especially getting home because uh, I took my bike today. Snow. And- the snow, the snow actually stopped at like four o'clock and it got sunny out. But the thing is, that's when all the wind came and mm. biking against the wind after a full day of work in Still the cold. biking against the oh, wind. Oh man. No, it's just no. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You know what? I don't like Bob Seger. So we, we can, we can edit that out if you want to <sighs> or not. Yeah. I don't care. But um, I got nothing else to say. Do you got nothing like, else to say? Oh yeah. Um, just a, a little update about, uh, Joysticks at Clutter here in Morris. Oh, yes, um, do tell. Uh, they're actually up to 14 games now. Uh-huh. Uh, and, of course, I have, uh, since they officially announced the uh, the arcade, I have yet to, to, to go there. I was going to go there the, like the opening weekend, but I never made it. But uh, I do pop in. Actually, last time I was there was just before they opened the arcade, though. And I bought, uh, yeah, that's right. I bought Lock and Chase and a few things for, uh, for my 2600. They still have uh, several Odyssey 2 games there that nobody's buying yeah. they're not that expensive and i'm thinking of you know just picking them up just uh seeing if anybody wants them so <clears> and you yeah. excuse me yeah so uh excuse something in my throat there that's a fun store to go through man oh i love going one, one of these place. days when i feel like stuff. going into the middle of nowhere i'll go there but, hey you got to come down here and come out to onet gaming with me at some point too that's a really interesting place yeah, I I really want to actually. I, I really do. So, we'll so see. here we go. Uh, we'll you just got a new car. Might as well break it in somehow. So, yeah. oh yeah, I got a car too. Not yeah. new. It's uh, well, used. It's almost but new. It's all I, I mean, could yours, afford. Yours is pretty new. It's, it's a only a couple of years old. It's twenty sixteen, like thirty seven thousand miles. Well, it's forty thousand now. But hmm. anyway, anyway, auto talk. Yeah. So, um, did we have any? Errata? Oh, or goodness. Or uh, do you have any? I don't think I have any. I'm trying to think. Do we have any? You know what? There's one way to find out. Let's look at our emails and stuff. Well, I don't think we got any emails. Unless someone... Dir- Nobody ever emails us anymore. Yeah. Let's see what we got here about our last episode. And let's snurp. Oh, uh, well, this... Well, no, this isn't really addenda or errata. It's just follow-up kind of things. Yeah. But it's still something we should address, though. Like, although I have to say, S fifteen hundred or no, no, I'm sorry, RJ, RJ. on the Atari Age forums. <clears throat> now, how did I know it'd be Tim and Andy? Because what other and two the, people do we know? 
<laughs> and we'll just leave it at that. <laughs> yeah, if there are two people, it's probably going to be Tim and Andy because we don't know any other two people that would join us. So, Although it would be interesting to have Kevin and Ferg. I don't think they'd be able to put up with us, though. Mm. Ferg already put up with us once. I don't know if I'd want to put him through that again. <laughs> Kevin, Kevin's got too much talent for the room. Yeah, he really does. He'd probably oh. just, he'd probably he, just, he, he, honestly, he would, he would laugh everybody very courteously w- and just say, nope, that's what I got to feel. Listen to Kevin and Ferg. Yes. Please stand by. It is probably one of the funniest damn podcasts you'll ever listen to this side of my dad wrote a porno. Oh, did you hear, do you hear this sound? You know what that means? It means if you bomb the wall, you can get to a secret room where you could get a piece of the Triforce? Yeah, but what about this one? No, don't know. It means there's going to be a link in the show notes. Uh, Not a Zelda. To Please Stand By, which is not a video game podcast. Although it does have a video game segment. talk a little bit. There's always uh, a video game segment and a music segment. Oh God! What was the one? You know what we <laughs> we could sit here and talk forever about uh, about their podcast, but uh, it's, it listen to it. Yeah. Only, oh yeah. yeah. And just one thing I have to I should say about it is that I always make the mistake of listening to it at work, <laughs> and I'm I'm I always have ice water on my desk, and it's I'm always drinking ice water at the most inopportune time. Uh, there are water marks all over my monitors at work. There really are because <laughs> they make me do a spit take all the time. Oh, um, real quick, just a, a plug for uh, Lazy Game Reviews on YouTube. If you're not watching it, watch it. He does a lot of old, like, DOS and Windows computers and uh, newer games. He, he really covers the whole tech thing. And that I'm listening is to his Lazy Mouth. There you go. I'm watch, actually watching his uh, current, uh, I'm actually watching his uh, playlist right now, which is Oddware, uh, which is like odd, bizarre stuff for video games and computers and stuff. And holy crap, it is. This is a real entertaining show, so watch it if you're not. So there you mm-hmm. go. Yeah, uh, yeah, if, yeah. We don't even need the love theme from a Dender and Arata this time. No, not that's, really. That's real. Anyway, it's time. Yeah, we, we, we talked about other people's podcasts enough. Let's talk about our podcast. Actually, the content. Uh, should we talk about a uh, couple of video games? Isn't that why we're here? I suppose so. I suppose so. That'd be quite uh, a good idea. Twite? Quite. Twite. No, I didn't quite. mean quite. I mean, I, th- I think I was trying to say like whip, like like cool twas whip. and twain and quite. I don't know. Twas Brillig and the Mithiv and to, did Geir and Gimble in the Wabe. And all Mimsy were the Borgroves. Uh, oh well. No, yeah. but you know what? I feel bad because you pointed out how I always make you go first. Mm-hmm. But I'm I don't think I'm going to do that this time unless you absolutely want to go first. Eh, it don't matter to me. All right, then I will go first, actually. All right. You know what game, you know about which game I'm going to discuss, talk about? What game? It's going to be called Tutankham, or as my brother always called it, Tutankham. Tutankham. Tutankham, which was released in June of 1982 in Japan by Konami, or as some people say, Konami, but... Uh, Konami. I don't, I don't think they say Konami in Japan, so I'm just going to say Konami. In France, would it be Konami? Uh, probably that would be, and that would be uh, kind of bastardized French for with friend, with friend. And well, now that's very nice. Yes, it is. And uh, in 1982, a month later in July, it was released in the United States by Stern Seberg. And I believe Seberg is German for ocean mountain, but I could be wrong about that. 
And uh, this is not the first uh, Stern Seberg game we've discussed on this podcast. Oh, no, 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 no. But, uh, and by the way, there was an excellent episode of the Atari 7800 Homebrew podcast where they talked about the whole Steen Stern Seberg thing, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, you probably are mistaken. I doubt that it was uh, very good. But anyway. It probably anyway, was. Anyway, uh, what Tutankham is, Tutankham, however you want to say it, whether you want to say it like my brother or like how you probably should say it, uh, well, uh, I'm guessing really most of the people listening, if not everybody, probably has seen the game and knows what it is. But hey, just in case, it's kind of sort of a maze game, except instead of a regular maze, you are in King Tut's tomb. And why do I have a feeling that Warner Brothers is going to be like su- sending their lawyers to us? But uh, no, why? We're not singing Happy Birthday. No. Well, well, no, no, we're not. Oh we're no, not. We, no they, they can't sue us for that they, anymore. No, they Never can't. Mind. They can't. You're inside King Tut's tomb, and basically your job is to gather up as many treasures as you can while you are avoiding certain things like bats and... So in other words, you're a grave robber. Yeah, yeah, let's let's just get right down to it. You're a grave robber. And there's also something else that you have to make sure that you do. You know what that is? Uh, Whistle Dis- Dixie? That and... Watch out for snakes! Oh, yeah, yeah, because you got those mm-hmm. down there too, and there are magic spells and all kinds of weird things. And you got to open doors. You okay? And, and this is the crazy. I'm, you know, I'm getting a little a little tear in my eye because I I, I missed that. Well, watch out for snakes sample. Huh. Okay, I'm I'm over it. Yeah, you are. But um, and you go into different rooms back and forth. Well, not really back and forth. Well, actually, there is a back and forth in a way. Because you need to grab a key in order to open a lock to get into another room. And there are certain times when you actually have to unlock one lock and then go back and then grab another key to actually get past another lock. It, was, I, it took me forever to figure that out, too. I was like, well, why can't I not grab this key? But that, and really, that, the thing is, there's not much more to say about the game itself. You're just kind of maneuvering around the tomb uh, throughout the, the mazes and things. And, uh, you're fighting off um, enemies, and you're just picking up. It's it's kind of like, all right, here's how I like to think about it. Tutankham is basically Pitfall meets Lost Tomb, which we mm. talked about in episode nine, especially because there are so many similarities between Lost Tomb and Tutankham. Did Lost Tomb come out before or after this? Time for go oh, to bed. Shoot. Yes, yes, we know. Uh, let's see. You open the tab. <laughs> yeah, I hit all, I hit Command T without switching to Firefox. Uh, let me see. Because I always considered, as we talked about when we talked about Lost Tombs, I always considered that uh, in the uh, in the frenzy berserk, berserk lineage, lin- lineage, lineage. Talk about adding extraneous R's. And uh, let's see, that was actually yeah, Lost Tomb came first. That came out in January. Okay. But uh, Lost Tomb was developed by Stern, though. This was developed by Konami. That's very true. That's interesting, though, because they do have a similar vibe. And especially... Yeah, a beca- similar theme, but the gameplays... Well, also, the control panels are pretty similar. There's one huge difference, though. What's the difference? They both have two joysticks. They both have two joysticks. The left joystick... Let's talk about the uh, the Tutankham uh, control panel mm-hmm. first. The left joystick is your four way directional, and your right joystick is a two way fire button or fire joystick. Mm-hmm. You can fire one direction at a time in any dire- in either direction, whether or not you're facing that direction. So it's ca- basically kind of 
in a way, kind of, sort of, it's a two-way robot. Uh, excuse me a minute. This week in Robotron. In a way, it's yeah, kind of got a, that out a of the two-way um, Robotron. Yeah, and uh, immediately to the left of the joystick that's on the right, there is a flash button. And that basically, it's a smart bomb in a way. Everything on the screen, all the enemies on the screen get wiped out when you hit flash. And you're given, well, depending on how the dip switches are setting, I think by factory default, you get one flash per life. And you get three lives by default with a bonus life at 30,000, I believe. And I think a bonus flash at 30. Well, yeah, they go hand in hand. So, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, what about the similarity of the control panel or lack thereof between Tutankham and Lost Tomb? The big and really only uh, difference is the fire joystick only fires left and right on Tutankham. Yeah. Whereas it fires eight directions on Lost Tomb. Oh, right, right. Which... That's a bone of contention for a lot of people with this game, but I've got a different complaint about this game, which we'll get to a little bit later. Why not get to it now? Okay. When you're moving your character around, it moves with the Pac-Man theory of movement. You push a direction, and you will keep moving until you hit something. Yeah. Or you reverse the joystick. And that, more than not being able to uh, shoot up and down, uh, kills me more often. I was playing Tudoncom earlier today. Yeah, I played a few rounds normally then, as I want to do, W-O-N-T, by the way. Oh, adjust my microphone. Uh, as I am wont to do, that uh, I looked in the cheats, and I found one where it's... Uh, I don't remember what it was labeled, but if you activated it, it snapped your character to the grid. So if you pushed uh, the joystick to the right, you would move until you got to the next cell of the grid. You Not until you like moved all the way down to the end of the corridor. Ah, so, so it would basically follow the Casey Munchkin... Yes, exactly. Okay. And um, I played a little bit better uh, with that. Um, huh. I, I, I'm not a huge fan of the... In, in some games, the move until you hit an object is fine. Uh, I don't think this is one of those games, but that's just me. Huh. And the thing is, the thing about Tutankham, I, I couldn't find any real history about the game. I basically told you everything I was able to find. It's like I say like about this podcast is... We basically go out and we learn about these games, we play them, we critique them, and we present our findings to you, our friends. And I didn't really have a heck of a lot of findings with this. I don't know what, how it came about. I don't know who at Konami designed it. I don't know. I, I couldn't find any of that stuff. I, and I checked my sources. I checked with my stack of joystick magazines. Thank you, Jeff Prescott, by the way, uh, again. Uh, and all I can tell you is basically how, how to score points in the game. If you hit a snake, you get 20 points. If you kill, if you kill a, uh, oh, man, what are those things? They're not really, they're, one source calls them monsters, but they're really something else. I don't remember what. Griffin? I think so, yeah. If you're zapping the monster, you get 40 points. <laughs> uh, the bats, those, the thing is the bats look more like butterflies to me. And if you kill one of those things, you get 60 points. And, uh, okay, now, we haven't talked about ports yet. No, we haven't. I'm going ha- to have to spoil a little bit. There was a port on the Atari 2600, and what you're thinking are butterflies, if, if it's the, the character I'm thinking, in the manual for the Atari 2600 version, they call it a setsy fly. A tsetse fly. Do you have any tsetse flies? <laughs> yeah. And by the way, um, I just uh, did a little quick look here. Programmed by H. Tanigaki. Oh, that's, oh yeah, courtesy of our friends at the cutting room floor. Yeah. 
Don't copy this program. All left reserved. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, was that in your notes? No, it wasn't. Oh, okay. All left reserved. I like that. That's a good one. Uh, oh, man, there was a bootleg uh, CD label called Vigatone. They, they did a lot of Beatles and Beach Boys titles back in the 90s and early 2000s. And their little copyright notice always said, all rights reversed. I really liked that. But <laughs> That's that, awesome. Yeah. And uh, what else uh, is it that I have to say? Oh, yeah. And, uh, of course, you got to pick up stuff, which is why I say that it's kind of like Pit Falling Away. Uh, if you collect a ring, you get a mystery score that could be anywhere from 500 points and higher. There's a lantern, which could give you 4,000 points at maximum. And uh, my source says that if you collect a key, you get 500 points. But I'm, I'm pretty sure that there were times that I've picked up a key and I got, uh, say, 1,000 and 1,500 points. So I, I think know. that one's variable, too. I don't know, because every time I've played the game, it's always said 500. Yeah. So you might be just... Stoned? Well, but that's a given. That's why I didn't mention oh, okay. that. But. And if you open a door, you get a 1,000 points. And what I love is... Uh, I was going to make a who joke there, but I totally forgot. No. Oh, Pete Townsend. <clears throat> well, that would be solo anyway. So yeah, there you go. So. Man, man, it's just a shame that he sold out like that. But I guess, hey, you got to have your little poppy tune now and then. But uh, one oh, thing I really like about, since I'm talking about uh, scoring points and all that, I like the high score table because if you make it to the high score table, it tells you, you have qualified for the great explorer. <laughs> I love great English, but I don't think much of anything beats uh, beat the end of Akari Warriors from last week. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> Congratulations. Or was it was uh, it nineteen forty two where uh, if you f- where it would where it said hope our next game and then there was no finishing thought? Something like that, yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, <clears throat> English uh, angry video game nerd Ghostbusters NES episode, watch it. So Yeah, I'll have to. Oh, and I'm so happy that my my niece is an angry video game nerd fan. I've still got to see the movie. I haven't seen it yet. Anyway, uh, anyway, hey, let's let's talk about the home ports. Uh, I was actually going to play one of them tonight, but I ended up getting home really, really late, and I ended up not eating until super, super late, and I didn't have time. But I never have played it, but I have it, and I'd like to. And that's the Atari Twenty Six Hundred port by uh, Parker okay. Brothers. I. Used to own that uh, way back when, and I think I might own it again. I'd have to look, which I don't think I have those games up here with me. Ferg reviewed it a while back, a long time yeah, ago, yeah. on, uh, on uh, 2600 Game by Game podcast. And I don't hate the game, because uh, the thing with that one, because of the limitations of the 2600, the maze scrolls vertically instead of uh, crawling horizontally. Yeah. Ah, see what I did? I remembered. Yeah, you remembered the proper terms. Good yes. for you. Um, I don't hate the game. Oh, oh you um, know, you need you deserve a round of applause for that, by the way. So, yay, the Intellivision applause. But um, but the one big criticism, uh, and I and Ferg mentioned this with the uh, with the twenty six hundred version, which is not a problem with any other version of this game, including the arcade, is you can get stuck on the walls on the corners. Oh, really? Twenty six hundred version. The thing with all every other version. Is your explorer, your grave robber, well, whatever. He's the exact size of the maze, and he fits, and he just glides smoothly into every passage. He fits the same. Your explorer, in the 2600 version, looks like a little tiny hat, and he's a <laughs> lot smaller than the maze, and 
you pretty much have free range of motion, so you can really get stuck on corners. And some of the maze design makes it even easier to get stuck on corners. I still kind of like the 2600 version, but it's not one of my go-to games. So, in fact, I think Parker Brothers did all of the home ports. Uh, what else did they do? They also well, all of the official home oh, ports. Yeah, all um, the official ones. Yeah, well, yeah, I'm not. <laughs> just last week, uh, video game critic reviewed uh, King Tut's Tomb for the Atari 8-bit computers. It was put out by Antic in 1988. It was basically a clone of Toon.com, which uh, I guess uh, fixed cleaned up some issues with the uh, with the official Parker Brothers version, from what I understand. But uh, he gave it a pretty good review. Oh, okay. But, because uh, the yeah. actual, uh, the official Atari 8-bit version, which was never released, but there's a prototype for it. They, they got oh, some... Oh, you know what? I wonder if that's what King Tut's Tomb is then. I wonder if that might be a uh, a cleaned up released version of the prototype. That's probably what I'm thinking because it didn't get... A, from what I gather, it's not really a fan favorite. When I, f- I first saw the screen caps, I was like, well, that looks pretty good, actually. But I'm actually quite amazed at how really good all of the home ports look with the exception of the 2600 version because they got um the maze is all like bricks yeah and it's got like the character of like the, the bricks look like you know they've been been old or whatever and they're yeah. old or whatever yeah. and they really recreated those graphics really nice on the home consoles i was really impressed with what i saw on the ColecoVision version because i've talked about this flaw in the ColecoVision uh video processor before uh, where it'll it like there's like some color bleeding. Oh, the diagonal uh, movements. So, so it was something like that. Yeah. yeah, I don't remember what it was off the top of my head, but um, but but yeah, they got they the, the all of the home parts, exception of the twenty six hundred version, look really nice. And I thought I thought the eight bit version looked really good, but apparently that gets some harsh criticism because your character is all just one color instead of a multicolored sprite or something. Which unfortunately is a thing with a lot of eight uh, bit well, games because yeah, of they course. had the they because they still used sprites like 2600 and there was still yeah. like limits as to how many you could use in that and there's that's why there's flicker in a lot of those games yeah and, and uh, side side question yes. you have more experience with this than i do was there any game was uh, the c64 ever prone to flickering i seem to remember there it was with a lot of graphics intense games Mm-hmm. Off the top of my head, I have no experience. I'm really with hoping the C64. that I'm really hoping that a month from now I will once again be a Commodore 64 owner because that's going to be my. Yeah, I've in fact I've decided this. All right, I have my Vectrex, I have the 7800, I have a backup 7800, I have a Sears Telegames Heavy Sixer, and I'm done. I'm I'm absolutely done. The only thing I want now is a Commodore 64. And and some kind of a multi cart ver- like like a mm. floppy drive emulator for it, not an actual floppy drive, and that is it. I'm done. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna keep only the Atari twenty six hundred games that I really 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 want and were part of my childhood, and the rest I'm just gonna use the uh, Harmony cart with because I I just need to clear some space here. Right. I really no, do. I and, get I, that. and what's the point of having this stuff if I don't if, if I mean I don't know I'm just well, I'm gonna get that the uh, C64 uh, plug and play unit yeah because it's it's got like what 30 some games a pretty good selection of titles and you can use it as a C64 by plugging in a USB keyboard and you can load other games onto it through USB so why not so I'll I'll uh, continue back to the Atari 8-bit version for the fourth attempt here one big criticism and I totally understand this is the way that the proto, at least the prototype is, you can fire lasers in only one direction. And I think it's because of the uh, 
joystick, of course, because the, it only uses a one button joystick. Mm-hmm. And if you want to use the flash, you actually have to use the second controller, which of course can be a hassle. And the thing is, it's a computer. Why would you need that? Why not just okay, use okay, the keyboard? Here's the thing. Here's the thing. They had Robotron on the Atari 8-bit, and it came with a joystick tray. You put both joysticks in there, you yeah. know? Why couldn't they have just used something like that, and then one joystick to move, one joystick to fire left and right, and then use either or both of the buttons to fire the flash? I mean, yeah, right. The Atari 2600, the way they got around it, is you f- fired in the direction you were facing, which kind of defeated the purpose of the thing, but I mean, yeah. it worked. I-, I don't remember how they did the flash. I think you had to hold the button and move up and down. I think it was hold the button and move up or down versus holding the button, moving left or right to fire. Normally, I believe that's how they got around that. Oh, if only there was some way we could find out by say reading a manual or something to create a laser flash, hold down the fire button and at the same time, move the joystick up. Okay. So I was half, I was almost right. Or they could have used a little, uh, a gr- a grip attachment like they did with Omega race. I don't know. They could have done that. Nah, no, too much trouble. Too much trouble. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. But uh, the thing is, it it makes total sense for Tutankham to work on the other ports, like the Intellivision, the ColecoVision, and the Commodore VIC-20, because with those, you have as many buttons as you possibly could want. I mean, the Commodore VIC-20, obviously, that's a computer, so you could just use a key. I don't know if that's how it works, but if you wanted to, you you had a, a whole QWERTY keyboard at your disposal, a ColecoVision and Intellivision, their controllers on those, they have a whole buttload of buttons on them. So you could easily adapt those. Uh, oh, by the way, uh, Parker Brothers also did a version of Tutankham for the Odyssey 2. Oh, it that's was, right, they did. Yeah, it, it, it was never released, but there was a prototype. And for a time, the prototype was actually available to download. I'm sure it's available somewhere, but the site that uh, originally hosted it just kind of vanished, so it's not there anymore. As far as I know, those are all the official, all the actual home ports, all of which done by Parker Brothers, who usually did home pretty good home ports for uh, for these systems. I think one major exception is Super Cobra for the 2600. Oh man, that's awful. Oh yeah, that is a terrible game. Oh, by the way, going back to the gameplay a little bit, what, there is one kind of interesting thing that I, I read someone's comment about this game uh, that kind of defeats the whole purpose. Where does Tutankham take place? Mm, Egypt? More specific. A pyramid? Which is what? A tomb? Which King means there's... Tomb? What, what? What is there in a tomb? A mummy? Yeah, which is a what? A person wrapped in bandages? What kind of person? king necessarily or a child is it necessarily a, a king or a child that's wrapped in bandages could be a woman could be a woman sure could be a cat could be a, well what's the one condition that you really should have in order to like wrap a mummy in bandages and stuff or for it to be a mummy in the first place desert stone no not necessarily humidity moisture water i mean what, what is from a summer place like basically like what is the one thing that is absolutely necessary before you can mummify somebody? They got to be dead. They got to be dead. Okay. What is it with all Zombies? these? What is it with all these snakes and bats and things in essentially a grave? Hmm. The world may never know. The world may never know, and it kind of makes me think of uh, 
another comment I read about the movie Blues Brothers, and the whole plot of the the whole point of the movie is that Jake and Elwood have to raise tax money for the orphanage. The orphanage, which is owned by what? Uh, the Cook County Assessor's Office? No, the Catholic Church. The Catholic Church, mm-hmm. uh, which should be tax exempt. Yeah. So mm. there's so basically that that whole plot shouldn't even exist. Of course, there is. Um, sorry to go off topic here. Actually, not really, but. There is one little caveat that I did see somewhere. Apparently, at the time that movie was made, there was talk in Cook County about starting to collect taxes from churches. Oh, really? So that might have been kind of what that was alluding to. But I was five years old at the time, so I don't know. But that's what I had to say about this. So yeah, you're in a you're in a tomb, yet there are all these living things in it. You didn't you wouldn't think there'd be all that life in there. Maybe some maggots or ins- and other insects maggots. and things, mm-hmm. but snakes and bats. And wait, they- wait, w- watching out for what? Oh, I have to use that thing again. Why not? We're talking Watch about Watch out snakes. for snake. There, there we, go. we go. That'll tie <sighs> me over till next episode. Okay. I'm going to hold you to that, by the way. Anyway, uh, Jimmy G, uh, where did you first see and or play Toot on Com? It was the Putt-Putt Golf and Games on Essington Road in Joliet, oh. Illinois. Mm-hmm. Shocking! Wow. Yeah. Uh, the, where I first played the next game actually might might be a little shocking. So. Wow. But. Well, as for me, I first played it at a convenience store called Convenient. How convenient! Which was at eleven eighty four North Convent Street in Bourbonnais, Illinois. On Convent. Yeah. Convenient on Convent. Hmm. Yeah. When I was a little kid and I could barely read, that confused me too. I was like, "Wait, Convenient is on Convenient Street? What a coincidence!" But yeah, it was a, it was a kind of uh, if you go past the counter and actually I think it was kind of in the back and to the left. 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 That's where it was. I remember I went to convenient with my dad once and I saw Tutankhamun over there. I was like, "Oh my god, dad, give me a quarter. I want to play." He's like, no. "He's like, no, you have 20 games for your Atari," which I didn't, by the way. I didn't have 20 until 2006. So, <laughs> they yeah. closed the arcade, too. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was my mother's lie there. No, I'm not saying my dad lied. He kind of just threw a number out, but, you know. And I was like, "Oh, come on, dad." But I, I think I eventually did play it there and didn't like the controls, but I liked the gameplay. Uh, oh, by the way, that convenience store is now a golf station. I'm trying to figure out where this was, where this is, because I used to live. Yeah, it was on uh, Route, the- Route 45, if you head north. Uh, it's probably about a mile down the road from Olivet. And if you're heading north, it's on the right side of the street. Uh, it's been significantly built up around there. But oh, I think it I know where it really is. It was really close to where I used to live, actually. It was walking distance, really, from where I used to live. So why didn't I ever walk over? I don't know. Oh, well. I think I know where it is. I think there's like a Culver's nearby. Ugh. Oh, there it is. Okay, no, I see it. Okay, I know exactly what you're talking about now. Okay. Yeah. It's about two blocks up from the Culver's. Uh, if, if you don't know what Culver's is, it's probably one of the best fast food restaurants in the world. <clears throat> Probably, which means it opens itself up to uh, to the fact that it's not. And I promise you, it is not. Well, it's awesome. It's awesome. If you like salt that looks like food, go to Culver's. They have good shakes there. They have really good uh, frozen custard shakes. I love Culver's. <clears throat> I need to cut back on my salt is why. Okay. Anyway. So anyway. Yeah. So that's where I first saw and or played uh 
tout en common. I know I played it at Underground Retrocade some time ago, too. Um, but um, anyway, uh, why don't we uh, give a little bit of love to people who scored some high scores, shall we? Hmm? Let's. All right. Going with Twin Galaxies, uh, they track uh, two different settings, actually. They track tournament settings, which actually I think it's specifically for Twin Galaxies tournament settings. Those settings are one flash per game with an extra flash at 30,000 points. No bonus lives. According to Twin Galaxies, the record holder is Rob with one B on his name, Barrett. And uh, Rob scored 622,040. And that was verified on July 25th, 2003 by a video submission. And uh, Rob Barrett also has the marathon settings record, which is factory default. Three lives, extra life at 30,000 points, and one flash per life. And his score was 2,791,880, verified June 5th, 2004, by way of referee, which tells me it was at some kind of live event. Or just somebody, like, watched him over his shoulder or something. And, uh, by the way, Orcade.com confirms that, uh, that same score for Marathon by Rob Barrett. And it says that that was performed June 1st of that year during Fun Spot 6. We've seen uh, Rob Barrett's name pop up before, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, in yeah, re- we have. relation to high scores. And Sean and I have a, a friend uh, named Rob Barrett, and it's like every time I see that, I'm like, I keep thinking, did he? Oh no, wait a minute, it wasn't him. Yeah, especially because he spells Rob R O B B. Oh, that's true. He does, doesn't but he? But this dude, yeah, which is why I said one B when I was talking about this guy. B. Yeah. And uh, tournament settings, according to Orcade, uh, and uh, this just shows you like how how far back the records on Orcade.com don't go, because tournament record on that site is held by John McAllister. Now, I'm not trying to uh, demean uh, John's score or anything. It's just significantly lower than what the Twin Galaxies record is, but it's just kind of showing you like how it's not quite going back as far. Uh, this was his high score was 140,000, a hell of a lot higher than I'll ever get. And, uh, that was performed October 14th, 2017 at Grinker's grand palace in, in, uh, Eagle, Idaho. Hope to go there someday. And, uh, that was during Grinkfest 2017. I know where Eagle, Idaho is, and I'm trying to picture it. I've been to Idaho once. Yeah, no, twice. My wife actually. and I have been talking about doing a doing a west uh, a road trip out west sometime, and when uh, I know Idaho is one of the destinations, and I think Eagle is not terribly far from there. Man, you're making your plans. Talk to me. I've been out to the west quite a few times on family vacations. I can tell you all the things to see. Mm. Yes, I know places to I, go. And then I have to I have to get someone to agree with me to go to those places too. Keep that in mind. True, but. Uh, yeah, I, I don't. I don't think the the person you have to get to agree would uh, disagree with uh, a lot of the places. I would suggest. But um, but anyway, what, what the heck else? Th- was this I is not like? this week in geography. When is this week in geography? It's next week in geography. Oh, yeah. oh shoot! But uh, what about your overall thoughts and words about Tutankhamun? Well, I really want to rate this game higher. Um, one thing about the about <laughs> Konami games. From this era, and I believe we brought it up on Juno. Well, Juno first was Konami released by Gottlieb, correct? Was it? Was um, Juno first Konami? I think it was. I thought it was by someone that some weird obscure company that no one's ever heard of. Hmm. 
Oh, Juno for, okay. oh yeah, it is Konami. Yeah, you're yeah. right. Okay, I thought so. And one thing we brought up when we talked about Juno first is the game had a really strong Williams feel to it in the sound effects and the visuals. Yeah, um, yeah, that's Tudon right. Khan has a similar vein. When your guy gets killed, first of all, the sound effects, yeah, the explosions, right. the lasers and everything right. sound Williams-esque. When your yes. guy explodes, the explosion looks like your ship getting destroyed in uh, Defender or Stargate. And uh, you can't disagree with the visuals or the audio in this game. I mean, they're, they are really top-notch. And uh, oh, yeah. they're, 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 they're cartoony in a way. Uh, they're not, you know, 100% like um, a Williams-style game. But if Williams did a game like this of their own from the ground up, this is kind of what I would expect it to look like. So, I mean, it, it's, it's a great-looking and a great-sounding game. A lot of people don't like the fact that you can only fire left and right. And uh, there, are, there are some places that you absolutely have to go into that are vertical passages to get, like, a key or something or to just to get to the exit. And you are a sitting duck in those. And I think that is, honestly, with only one flash... Um, what, what did you say? You earned another... <laughs> No, I said Flash. Um, yeah, but you said Sitting Duck. Oh, that's true. Um, I still love that. That's I think that's the best sound effect. But yeah, I mean, in, in some of these corridors, you you have no defense if you're out of a Flash. So you got to like hightail it in there. And um, I think that's kind of cheap in a way that you have no other way to defend yourself. I mean, with a little practice and some strategy, yes, you can get around that. But... To me, the biggest problem with this game, as I mentioned before, is that you hit a direction, you keep going until you hit something, or you push up on the joystick, uh, or you or you reverse. It doesn't. It just doesn't like stop you. And I think that would make the game actually even a lot more playable than having two four-way joysticks. Two four-way joysticks, I think, would make the game maybe a little too easy. Mm, um, I I don't know about that. I don't yeah, know if I maybe agree maybe with not. That. But I but again, I think it could use the uh, it. With the movement situation in the game, would make it a lot. Would would I think tighten the gameplay up quite a bit? This is not really one of my go-to games. I, I mean, I played it a lot way back, you know, during the golden age of the arcade. You know, I played it a lot then, but it. And as I said, I liked the twenty-six hundred version to a degree, even though it's not one of my go-to games again. But I can't rate this game more than a three. It's. It just seems to get like too hard with the control scheme, and that's that's this game's really only flaw is its control scheme. Hmm. And um, yeah, I don't know. That's that's my opinion, and I am sticking to it. Yeah, and of course you are, and I kind of agree with that. My my rating is also going to be three continues. It's one of these games that I really want to like a lot more than I do because it's right. got a lot going for it. It really oh, yeah. does, and. <sighs> I think it just makes itself a little bit too harder than it needs to be. It yeah. really does. It gives you way too many opportunities to get yourself cornered. A few opportunities, great, but too many is too many. You know what I'm saying? Oh, and one other thing is um, with the firing that I noticed is that it, um, it's not rapid fire action. It's like you ha It seems like you can only fire once in one direction, and you can't fire in that direction again until that shot is completely gone. Now, granted, it looks like a continuous line, but there's like no... It's like one shot on the screen at a time, and that kind of hurts the game quite a bit, too, 
I think. Yeah. Hey, what do you think about the about that little tune that plays when you move around? I don't mind it. it I don't think it gets. I don't think it gets very. I don't think it gets irritating. I actually kind of like it myself. Yeah, I mean, I can see where some people might say it gets irritating, although I've never heard that as a criticism of this game. But I like it. I it's. Uh, I, I, I honestly, think if it hurt, if, if if it was more like a, a tra- traditional like footstep thing, which is what that I think is supposed to sound like, if it yeah, sounded right. closer to a footstep, I think it might get a little more annoying. But uh, I think it adds a little bit to the. Uh, this game does have a little bit of a sense of humor. I mean, let's let's be honest. Um, but uh, I think it adds a little bit to the atmosphere of the game and lightens the mood a little. So yeah, I yeah I don't mind that at all. And I, th- I actually think I'd probably not. I, I, the thing is, I'm only giving it three continues. But the thing is, like, I don't dislike it. I no. just don't love it. I think it might have actually affected it negatively if that sound wasn't there. Yeah, well, you would need some sort of a sound effect for going through the maze. Other, if it wasn't for that, the game would be kind of well. It it would be a lot more silent than it is currently. I mean, there is a lot of action with enemies spawning and your gun firing and the flash and all of that. I love the sound effect of when you pick up a key. That's a great little tune. Mm, that, that's yeah. one of my favorite little tune arcade tunes. But um, yeah. It all boils down to control. The game itself is fun. It's a be- it's it's a great game to look at. It's a great game to listen to. The control sucks, and I this game could easily be a five if something happened. They you could do something with the control. And granted, it might make it a little easier if you had four way fire, but you just tweak the difficulty otherwise. You know. <sighs> uh. So. So yeah, so so that is Tutankhamen. You know what else? What else? Huzzah, Tutankhamen. Oh, forgot about that. Huzzah. <laughs> yeah, man, I really, I really need a vacation. Jeez, don't get me started. But um, should we uh, move on to a other game? Sure. Perhaps. Let All us right. do that. Let us yeah, entertain and, you. Uh, yeah, and uh, let's let us entertain you with Huzzah, Wizard of War. Uh, ah, spelled W-O-R. W-O-R. Oh. W-O-R. Yeah, see, oh, just like tricky. that uh, station in uh, New Jersey. W-W-O-R? Formerly just W-O-R. Yeah. So, yeah, well. Shall yeah, I- they're in, uh, oh, where the heck are they in Jersey? I've driven past their 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 offices before several times. Oh, 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 what's the, it's the place where, the, where Beetlefest used to be in New Jersey before they moved to Jersey City. Uh, uh, oh, I don't know. Is it East Rutherford, I think, where, where they are? Or, oh wait, no, it's uh oh, what's that place with the really ugly water tower? Uh I've been away from New Jersey for too long, said no one ever. <laughs> I have been away from Joliet too long. And I'm not complaining. No. So <clears throat> Yes. Huzzah, Wizard of War. Bally Midway from nineteen eighty, and this is another one of the Bally Midway games that are based on the Astrocade platform in uh the Astrocade platform, uh, you're generally uh, assured that it's going to have amazing visuals and sound. Secaucus. Secaucus. That's where, that's where WOR is. Uh, okay. I uh, thought you oh, were saying way, something uh, dirty. Yeah. What else, what else was based on the Astrocade? Uh, well, uh, I was, believe was Gorf, Gorf one of them. I believe Gorf okay, was. Because there's a reason uh, I asked Robbie about Roto. that and I'll bring it up again later. Robbie Roto, I believe, was one. And uh, 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 the adventures of Robbie Roto. Oh, the adventures Roto, of Robbie Roto. <clears throat> Professor Pac Man. Um, let me think. There was, uh, I think there was one other. You mean Professor Piece of shit, Horrible, Stupid Ass? Shit. 
fucking atrocity to all things Pac-Man. Uh, That's what it says on the marquee. Go check. Really? Hold on. I got to check this. Holy crap. You're right. We're going to have to change our notes. I know. I know. Oh, that should. Oh, perhaps that should be this. (laughs) So, yeah. So it's upright raster, two players at the same time game. And, uh, I had some interesting, had an interesting time uh, researching this one because there's stuff in this game I did not even realize before. But uh, yeah, basically you're in a maze and you're shooting monsters and uh, you know, and eventually in some levels the Wizard of War comes out and you got to shoot them. As I said, two players simultaneous. Player one is the Yellow Warrior, spelled W O R R I O R. Uh, player two is the Blue Warrior, and uh, your shots can shoot and kill the other player. Now, uh, the player one is on the right-hand side. The yellow player is on the right-hand side. The starts on the right-hand side of each maze. The blue one starts on the left-hand side of each maze. Now, in a one-player game, this is int- this is kind of neat. The blue warrior, and uh, I'm pronouncing it correctly, even though it's spelled differently, but I want to pronounce it differently. I, I don't know. At uh, any rate, but the blue warrior is controlled by the computer. And he will only shoot at the monsters. He never shoots at the uh, the other player. However, you can still die from accidentally running into his shots. And you can shoot the blue player, too. And you can, which you're going to want to try to avoid that because he's a, he's a great help. Really? Because I've actually been intentionally shooting that player because it gets, a lot, it gets you a lot of points. It does, but it helps you uh, survive longer, too, though. So, you know, p- hey, play how you want. They, It's up to you. So, um... Yeah, um, there's, and of course, there's different uh, kinds of dungeons. There's uh, they have the, the basic type of dungeons, and uh, which are just blue mazes, uh, and so eventually something called Warlord Dungeons. Again, W O R. Uh, there are two special kinds of dungeons called the Arena and the Pit. And the Pit, uh, the Arena is uh, has like some mazes on the outside, but there's like a huge empty area in the middle, and the Pit is just a screen that's no maze. It's just a free for all, just a wide open space. Into the wild blue on yonder. Um, so uh, yeah, each uh, each player has their own four-way joystick. If the fire button you can only have one shot on the screen at a time, so uh, you know choose your shots carefully. Don't shoot down a uh, like a really long hallway because uh, until that shot disappears, you're uh, defenseless. Now each maze actually is an eleven by six grid uh, with an escape tunnel on the left and the right, and it will deactivate the. The, uh, the tunnel deactivates for a short time after you have used it, so watch out for that. Okay. <laughs> um, I've already talked about snakes twice already, though. So uh, Yeah, you said that was going to hold you over to yeah, the next that's episode, true. I and I told you I was going to hold you up that's to That's true. Now, as I was saying before, your players start in the corner, the yellow on the lower right, blue on the lower left, and you start actually in a box. Uh, you have 10 seconds to vacate the box... Uh, you could stay in there and you're, you're protected, but, uh, yeah, you have to get out of there in 10, 10 seconds or it will push you into the maze. The arena levels are brought up after you, you, uh, you get your first bonus player, which is interesting. Uh, the pit levels occur at the 13th dungeon and every sixth dungeon thereafter. So like at the 19th, 25th, you know, 31st, so on and so forth. Another bonus player is awarded at the first pit screen. And if you survive that without losing a life, you become Warlord Supreme. You can become just a regular old warlord if you reach level eight. So Spelled W-O-R-Lord, of yes. course. Okay, now, <clears throat> the monsters. Oh, monsters! 
monster! Okay, first of all, you got the Burr War, which looks like Burr a... War? Yes, which looks like a blue blue wolf. He's 100 points. The Gur War, which uh, looks like a yellow T-Rex. That's 200 points. And then you got the Thor War. Thor, not Infinity War. Uh, he looks like a red scorpion. He gets 500 points. Now him... And the Gur War can turn invisible, but they show on the radar. Oh, I forgot to mention, yes, there is a radar uh, on the screen at the bottom, which will show you the general area that your uh, your enemies are in in the maze, even though it does not show you the actual layout of the maze. So, you know, it, even though it doesn't show you the layout of the maze, it's still helpful. So, you know, use it. Now you got the Warlock, which kind of looks like a, a fly or an insect or something. Now that I think about it, he kind of looks like the Gond from the Arcade Vanguard. Ooh, yeah, he he looks just like the Gond. Uh, but, uh, yeah, you know, he, he's insect kind of fly looking. You get a thousand points for shooting him. And if you can get him before he escapes the dungeon, uh, it will double the points in the next dungeon. And side doors will always remain open when he's on the screen. Now, finally, the last enemy is the Wizard of War. Ooh. Yeah, spelled W-O-R, of course. Uh, he's the... <clears throat> Blue Wizard. Badly. Uh, you get 2,500 points for destroying him, and um, he will appear sometimes after the last Warlock has been killed. He can teleport. He'll be, like, in a general area for a few seconds, then he'll blip away and he'll go somewhere else. He shoots uh, fires. He shoots uh, lightning bolts at the players. That. Now, if you shoot the opposing player, the Yellow Warrior or the Blue Warrior, uh, it's 1,000 points. It appears that the monsters speed up like every seven seconds, and if you listen to the sound effects, the sound effects oh, yeah. will uh, speed up along with that. Really, this game has the most intimidating sound effects. It oh, really it does. does. Um, I'm not, I don't mean that in a bad way, by the way. Oh, no, no, no. Not, not at all, but uh, there are uh, several home ports of this. Um, uh, the Atari 5200, uh, the Atari 2600. The, uh, the Bally Astrocade uh, actually has a port for it, but it's called the Incredible Wizard. It's not called the Wizard of War. Uh, there's an unreleased ColecoVision prototype, which I have never played. And uh, it was also on the Atari 8-bits. Atari 8-bit computer, 5200, basically the same, and the mm. C64. One major difference between the home ports versus the arcade is that I don't believe the blue player, if you're playing a one-player roams the maze on the home I don't ports. think so. In fact, I, I know it doesn't you, I, on the 2600, and I scoured, no. the, I scoured the manual online this afternoon uh, looking to find out about that, and I did not see anything about that. Played it on the my 8-bit, and I did not notice that behavior, and I didn't see a way to uh, toggle it. True story. I first played this on the Atari 2600. Loved it, by the way. I still do. I think that might and, be most people's uh, first yeah. exposure to this and, game. And when I first played the arcade version, I th I honestly thought I accidentally started a two-player game. <laughs> I really did. I was like, oh, crap, did I hit the wrong button? <laughs> so, yeah, so it was available for those. And, of course, it was in compilations later on down the road. And that, oh, of course. Um, there's a lot of voice in this game. Um, I was going to read all these, but there's like 8, 12. Holy shit. 68, 71 different phrases that this game says. I'll just read a couple just to go through here. Uh, hey, insert coin. Uh, find me, the Wizard of War. I'm out of spite. Ha, ha, ha. And then stuff like get ready, warrior. Kill warlock for double score. Burr war, gar war, and Thor war will do you in. My creatures are radioactive. 
Warrior fear, I draw near each time I appear. Ha ha ha. If you get too powerful, I'll take care of you myself. Ha ha ha. Ha ha ha. Maybe you'll see me again, warrior. Your explosion was music to my ears. Ha 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 ha. Ha ha ha. <laughs> <laughs> end of game. There's some end of game ones here. Uh, come back for more with the Wizard of War. Ha 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 ha. The dungeons of war await your return, warrior. Deep in the caverns of war, you will meet me, warrior. The Wizard of War thanks you. Now, that was kind of polite. The Wizard of War thanks you. Oh, I have yeah, never, yeah. ever, ever had a game... Tell me in a voice, thank you. Mm-hmm. You might say, thank you for playing, but, you know, the Wizard of War thanks you. Yeah, if you say thank you for playing, you're basically saying, hey, because of you, somebody made money. Yes. But if you just say thank you, then it's just, it's more personal. But here's another know? one. Hurry back. I can't wait to do it again. He's your friend. Wow. He wants to spend time with you. The Wizard of Indeed. War wants to spend time with you. And I... How can you hate a game like that? Oh, by the way, did you mention who designed Wizard of War? Like, what company designed it? David Nutting and Associates. Yep. Or David Nutting Associates. Or David Nutting. There's uh, no I believe a, he, there's did, no he a, actually I designed believe. it, I believe. So, yes. And uh, I copied something into my notes. I put them into this other thing in notes, and it didn't save. Hold on. Oh, that's not the right one. Is it this one? Here it comes. Bing! Ah, here it is. Okay. <clears throat> this is from, uh, this is interesting. This is from the operator's manual. <clears throat> Putting the game into the self-test mode is the easiest and best way to check for proper operation of all the game's switches, controls, and major electronic components. The letters R-A-M, pronounced RAM, like the male animal, stand for random access memory. The letters R-O-M, pronounced like the first three letters in the word ROMP, stand for read-only memory. (laughs) I got a huge kick out of that. Seriously, look at these manuals, man. There's like gems all over these things if you find arcade manuals online. And I said my theory before, but I'm going to say it again. My theory is that they they did that intentionally just to grab your attention to make sure you're actually reading it carefully. Uh, Yeah, or or as a copyright trap. That too, yeah. Uh, Throwback to a previous episode. So uh, a few other things here. Um, There can be no more than six enemies in a maze at once. And uh, on all the screens, if you kill a Garwar, it will cause a Thor War to appear. So, yeah, a little hint, uh, no more than six enemies can appear in a maze at once. There is a rumor that if you shoot and somehow the Wizard of War appears on top of your bullet for the first time, that it will lock the game, but I've seen no evidence of this. So, uh, yeah, uh, there you go. This is, there I go. There I go again on my own. And uh, so I guess I'll ask you, where is the first place you played this? The arcade version? Well, funny you should ask. You were actually there (laughs) when I actually first played it. Oh? I first played it at No Limit Arcade in Algonquin. I think it was back in 2011. Oh, that's been a while since we... Of course, they're not there anymore. They're not there anymore, no. Now, this is... uh, I can't exactly remember 100% the first place I saw or played it. It was one of two places. I mean, I always knew that it existed. I just never saw it until then. Uh, but yeah, I mean, um, it was either at Putt-Putt Golf and Games, again, Essington Road, Joliet, Illinois. I can't remember 100%. It was either there or Arcade and Keys. Uh, 
Yeah, uh, talking about that so place. You said again. that was worthy of a gasp. Yes, it was. And uh, so uh, it was one of those two places. I do want to think it was Putt-Putt, but I could be wrong on that. If I'd have to perform open brain surgery on myself to see if I can extract the memories or whatever, if that's even possible. Oh, go for it. So, uh, but this isn't crazy climber. So, um, mm. you know, see, they say go yeah, for I, it. Yeah, I, okay, I, I see yeah. what you did there. Yeah. But... Um, so, yeah, uh, that is pretty much everything about the basics of Wizard of War, W-O-R. And uh, so, uh, shall we talk about uh, high scores? Sure. My high score on this game, by the way, uh, I actually recorded this this afternoon. I Ooh. think this is my all-time high score, 24,400. I'm sure I did not much better. This game gets... Re- oh, by the way, three gets- lives or seven lives? Three. Wow. Three lives. And uh, the, the, that is one thing about this game. It starts off really kind of slow, but the whole oh, increasing yeah. movement, increasing speed, monster speed by seven seconds before too long, you'll be up to your armpits in uh, in monsters. Not Martians, huh? Not Martians. So, you, oh, you want to know about high scores? Yeah, right? let's talk about high scores. Well, Twin Galaxies actually has four tracks for it. They're single player, three lives and seven lives, and two player team, three lives and seven lives. Single player, three lives. Doug Lowry scored 485,200 verified July 21st, 2008 by way of DVD. So somebody had to sit there and watch a DVD. I wonder if it was John Bruchek. Uh, Anyway, uh, going on, there was a two player team, three lives. John Thomas and Josh Powell, who scored 1,303,300. And that was verified June 2nd, 2002 via referee, ergo live. Uh, single player seven lives, John Lowry again. He scored 627,400, and that was also verified by DVD on April 4th, 2009. And the two player team, seven lives, once again, John Thomas and Josh Powell, 1,398,500, verified June 2nd, 2002, by way of a referee. And what's interesting, again, this just goes to show how recent Orcade.com is, how new their records are. Because mm-hmm. they have Josh Powell scoring, uh, according to their their record, the highest score in the three lives single player track is Josh Powell with only 214,200, which was performed February 9th, 2013 at Galloping Ghost Arcade in Brookfield, Illinois. In the previous episode, somebody erroneously said Chicago but it's actually Brookfield and the seven lives track that would, that goes to Tim Vanderkolk who, and this is why I was kind of impressed by your score of 20 some thousand and only three lives because in seven lives, the highest record on orcade.com is by Tim Vanderkolk who scored 50,400. So man, if you had uh, two and a third more games to play that or, or one and a third more games to play, you probably would have, beating out Tim Vanderkolk. Ooh, I might actually and, uh, get a high score on something. Yeah, and he scored that on Valentine's Day 2016 at the Underground Retrocade. Underground you are. Retrocade. Yeah, I, th- I I think Tim is actually on some kind of a uh some kind of a thing to get as many like number one scores in Underground Retrocade as possible. I mean, he seriously, if you watch him play like he's in extreme concentration and he has glasses on too, so it kind of makes you—it th- makes him look like he's actually reading it. You know what I'm saying? Hmm, 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 hmm. 
Yep, I can sort of guess where you're going with that. Yeah. So, oh, by the way, the reason that I I um, asked about uh, if Gorf was another Ballyastrocade game is because I heard from some people that apparently like some of the problems that tend to plague Gorf machines also appear on Wizard of War machines. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, you know what? Um, also going back to, uh, hmm. I know I'm backtracking again, but going back to uh, how I said that I always knew that Wizard of War exists in the arcades. Mm-hmm. I mentioned, I've mentioned several times about Lincoln Mall and Aladdin's Castle, how that was where I'd play arcade games right. as a child once a month. There was another mall that we would go to occasionally. That would be the Orland Square Mall in Orland Park, Illinois. Mm-hmm. And I remember the first time we went there, I was thinking, okay, a mall this size and this nice, yeah. they have to have an arcade. Nope. They gotta. They didn't. Nope. They, they didn't. didn't. My brother said he looked through all the wings. He didn't see one. Yet one of my classmates at school told me, yeah, they do have one. It's called Wizards of War. And I think he was, he took the liberty of bullshitting me. Or there could have been a store in there that actually had a Wizard of War arcade machine. And he thought you were talking about arcade machines and not an actual arcade. I have heard of that kind of a confusion before, though. I don't know if a nine-year-old would have really made that distinction. Well, I don't know. I've nine. Well, <clears throat> my cousin, when he was nine years old, swore up and down that the game that Atari was promoting uh, for the Atari twenty-six hundred was called Men's Pac-Man, so instead of Ms. Pac-Man. So you never know. You never know. So, so Sean, what do you think of the game? I think it's a it's quite a fun, unique game actually, because. I, it's it's hard to see. You just don't really see games like that. You really mm-hmm. don't. As I mentioned before, I think most people's introduction to the game was probably the Atari 2600 version first. Yeah. That was a good version of it, too. It's not bad, but after playing the Atari 8-bit version in the arcade, it's uh, you, you can see... Well, I mean, it's obviously they had to scale it down for the hardware. Uh, the flickering in the 2600 version just kind of gets at me, because that's really got some bad flickering... Uh, along the Pac-Man lines, uh, maybe not quite that bad, but still pretty bad. But uh, but yeah, most people had their introduction there. Uh, but it's again, even with Professor Suckman to a degree, all of the Bally Astrocade based games were really good in the audiovisual department for what they were. Well, and Baby Pac-Man, I they don't really have the greatest audiovisuals. Maybe one. Baby Pac-Man is Astrocade. I think so. I know David Nunning Associates did that one. Yeah, I don't think they just did stuff on the Astrocade platform, though. But well, you I know, I have a feeling it was. If you look, if you really look at a baby Pac-Man screen, that is not the same thing that's going on with the other Pac-Man games. It's definitely of lower quality. Well, I wonder if there's a way we can find that out. No, there isn't. It is impossible. Um. Oh well, Nunning and Associates did uh, design the display chip. That's a topic we could do for another time. But uh, oh, yeah. I think the difficulty in the game might ramp up too quickly. It does get insanely hard really early. Yeah. In the but le- that's the really- thing is, it starts over with every level, but still, mm-hmm. you have to get past that insanely hard difficulty to get to the next level. But uh, in a lot of games, that would really, I think, be a, a drawback. But I, I really don't think so in this one. I think this is. This is again one of those, you know, one I got to do, you know, one more try, one more try a game uh, type games. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, because it's just the, the audio. I, I love the sound of the uh, of the sound of when your uh, when your player dies in the game. 
Uh, the, the, you know, I'm sure Hyde will probably insert that in here. That is just an awesome sound effect. And uh, as far as the visuals, the, like the stars twinkling in the background, which, again, the 2600 version doesn't have, you know, because of its, as we were saying before. And um, it's, it's just a really fun game. And my only regret, well, really a lot of games that we've talked about on here, uh, is that I just have not really played a lot of these games in two-player mode with a second player at the same time. And uh, this is this is one of them. Uh, I was a I was it was awesome when me and you finally played two tigers in dogfight mode together. And then we play we've played uh, what was space duel. Uh, everybody's played joust against somebody at some point, regardless of who you were playing with. But uh, but yeah. But other than those games, I've really never played any of these against another player. And I really want to do that with this game because this um, this is a game that I, that I've had to warm up to over time. Uh, I first saw it in the arcade, and the the cabinet, you know, again, I've used the phrase, I haven't used it in a while, laundromat game. It looked, the cabinet looked like a laundromat game type cabinet to me, even though I've never seen it in one of those locations. But, uh, so I, I never really gave it a second glance early on when I've played it, when I played it in the arcades. I mean, I eventually played it a few times, and I'm like, meh. But now that, uh, you know, time has gone on and I'm getting into the game a lot more, I'm like, this is really a brilliant game. What just occurs to me that we've talked about two games tonight that actually have radars. Yeah. Right. There, is, there are a lot of commonalities between these two games. Yeah. Yeah. In a way. Yeah. You're right. Um, we've talked about games that have a lot more in common. <clears throat> Just Mario Brothers. But yeah, there's there's oh, there is uh there is there's enough we could have really pretty much done any sort of a theme with these two games. There's very little to dislike about this game. If as I said, yeah. and I'm repeating myself again, difficulty ramping might be the only thing, but you know, it's it's a fun game and um there's uh there's a lot of room for strategy and uh just make sure you keep your eye on that uh, on that radar cuz yeah. you're going to be using it a lot, especially when more of the enemies turn invisible. Yeah, and by the way, the one thing I do want to uh, add about this is, uh, if you're a com- if you have a Commodore sixty four, one game I really recommend. And I think this is really my favorite Commodore sixty four game. It was a type in program in Computes Gazette magazine from nineteen eighty eight. I think it was called Crossroads. It has very much a Wizard of War vibe, except it's a lot. The maze is a lot huger, and you get a butt ton more enemies. But it is it is one of the funnest games you'll ever play on that platform. It really is. That's one reason I can't wait to get a Commodore sixty four again, so I can play that again. As I was saying, I really like this game a lot, and I have to rate this game a five. I'm going to give it a four. Continues. I I mean I can totally see someone giving it a five, but yeah, this is absolutely a four for me. And no and, lower at all. And it's I will really say well this. Done. Before I started playing it this afternoon again, I was going to rate it a four, but then I played it, huh. and then I played some of the 8-bit, uh, the Atari XE version of the game and some of the 2600 version of the game, and I'm like, this game is a lot deeper than I originally gave it credit for, and uh, because of that depth, I have to give it a five. There's just no way around it. This is hmm. easily a five. This is easily a five for me, like I said, so... Mm-mm. So, yeah, I changed my opinion this afternoon. Wow. I'm sure I could have given it a five, too, if I actually had time to play it more and dig deeper into the other versions as well. But, man, I haven't played the Atari 2600 version in probably 30 years, but I remember highly enjoying it. And and I remember 
the transition to the arcade version, I was like, man, this is really good. This They really did a good version of this on the Atari. But hey. I don't remember if we talked about it, but uh, you remember when John Madden did the, uh, the 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 TV commercials for CBS Games for the Atari 2600? I really don't. I oh, honestly don't. I'll have don't. to see if I, they've got some of those on YouTube. Oh, they gotta. They gotta. Because the the two they were, the, I think their two first titles were Gorf and Wizard of War. And he did a thing about, uh, about he did an ad for those games. They were awesome. Well, I'm sure that if we can find any of those, we will link them in the show notes at piefactorypodcast.com. But in the meantime, um, should we uh, close the door on Wizard of War? Rhyme, not intended, but very happy that it did. Oh, sure. And I actually did just find a Wizard of War commercial. Oh, good. But uh, anyway, uh, we should, uh, what should we do first? Reveal the theme or thank our friends or what? Let's reveal the theme first. Okay. And, um, you know. Can I reveal the theme? Sure. Since I always kind of defer that to you. I just want to see what that's like. Sure. All right. The theme, and this was uh, actually Jimmy G's idea. I can't take credit for it. I'm just going to like read it or not read it, but say what it is. Games whose titles are intentionally misspelt. Mm-hmm. And uh, Wizard of, is, is there a reason that they misspelled Wizard of War intentionally? Probably just to be edgy. Probably just to be edge, kind of like Mortal Kombat. Oh, by the way, going back to the whole uh, No Limit arcade thing, mm-hmm. I found out about No Limit when I was watching WGN Morning News, which is a hysterical morning news program, and it's the highest rated one in Chicago, I might add, and I do add. And they actually did a story about No Limit. They actually had a couple of people stationed on there. I remember Mike Toomey was one of them. And he was at the Wizard of War machine, and he said, I like Wizard of War because they misspelled war. <laughs> so uh, that's something I have to say. And uh, the reason that Tutankham is misspelled, well, it's because at one point, Tutankham was supposed to be a horizontally oriented game. The screen was going to be horizontally oriented, just like anybody's TV set, but they decided to change it to a vertically portrait-oriented monitor, which meant the marquee was going to be smaller and Tutankhamun, which is King Tut's full last or full name, I guess, barring any weird uh, extra words that might be in his actual full name. But I'm just saying like Tut is short for Tutankhamun. And the thing about that is uh, they didn't have enough room on the marquee. So they just chopped off the two. I, I don't know. I, I find that to be kind of a lame excuse, though. Mm, Teenage maybe. Mutant Ninja Turtles. Maybe. That fits on a marquee. But... Um... You know, that's uh, that's the rumor, that's the story we're told, and that's... Exciting new Pac-Man Plus, that fits on a marquee. Well. And this is another thing, and this I love this. Uh, the Anybody who's been to our Facebook page knows that there is a pressing of the pole position cartridge on Atari 2600 in which it is spelled... <laughs> the position is spelled Positin, and one thought is that maybe they just ran out of space and couldn't put all the vowels in there. Meanwhile, somebody you had at, a vowel movement. <laughs> oh, um, let me see. Which which button is that on the soundboard here? Uh, um, there we go. Ah, there we are. Meanwhile, there's another Atari 2600 cartridge, not done by Atari, but by uh, Mattel, uh, the M Network game, the He Man Masters of the Universe game. I don't remember the full title of it, but it's something like He-Man Masters of the Universe and the Castle of Grayskull and all the wonderful things that they've done from here until the end of time. And they managed to fit all of that on the damn label. <laughs> well, they, they shrunk the uh, the Masters of the Universe 
logo down to a size you can barely see too, though. Still, they were able to fit it, and you knew what it was. Maybe they just had the design already, and they just like, uh, we don't want to pay the guy to, to change it. They just chop the rest of it off. Sure. That's a possibility. But hey, that's the theme I mean, game. That's kind Games of whose a... titles were intentionally misspelt. Yeah. That have radars. <clears throat> oh, yeah, and they have radars, and mm-hmm. they, and yeah, and other things that I've forgotten. Uh, and you know what I want to do now? Cha-cha. Yes, very much oh, so. Sweet. But there's something else that I want to try. Uh, there's one thing that I stole from the Amigos podcast, and I want to steal something else from Amigos podcast. I once heard uh, John Boat of Call Schaller, Boat of Car Schaller, excuse me, do a word association game with his co-host, oh? uh, Aaron Aaron Dowdy. And I want to do the same thing with you. Okay. I'm going to read off some names, and I want you to tell me like the first thing that these names make you think of. Okay. Uh, starting with Richard Valdez. What does he make you think of? Exxon. Okay, great. How about Underground Retrocade? Like, what do you think uh, of when you th- when you hear Underground Retrocade? Uh, Dundee. Dundee. Okay. How about Paul Steele? Big Paul Steele. Okay. And uh, what does Keith Sheehan make you think of? Home. Oh, well, I can see that. Very nice. Jonas Rulo. Brothers. Hmm. Jonas Greg Rulo. Greg Polander. Brothers. The Blazer. Nito. And Art Guglielmo. Uh, fine art. Oh, interesting. How about Tim Foley? What's Tim Foley make you think of? Artists. Tim Foley Ooh, artists. Interesting. How about Kyle Etter? Mm, winner of the Atari 2600. Yeah, and he confirmed that he, he received, received part it. of his yep. prize. Mm-hmm. Because we haven't sent out the other part. So, uh, sorry, Kyle. You will be getting that, of course. How about Michael D'Angelo? Jersey. Oh, yeah, yeah. I believe he also has won one of our previous giveaway things before. I do believe so. I think he did. Uh, How about Rory Charles Coleman? Inside job. Oh, interesting. (laughs) How about Atari Bytes? Mm. Teeth. See, for me, I would have thought proper joystick position holding. Well, even though he doesn't really point that I out, I was that thinking much about the logo of the show, which has teeth. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's a. I like his logo there. Uh, how about D. Alex, D. One and only Alex. Oh, nice, nice. Uh, so anyway, why did I play word association with these people? Because they are our wonderful financial sponsors. They help this podcast through Patreon donations at patreon.com slash pie factory podcast. And if you would like to also, uh, help us out financially, we would absolutely welcome it. It's a dollar a month, a little bit more. If you want to give a little bit more, a lot more, if you want to give a lot more, uh, Patreon is spelled P A T R E O N. And, um, is there anything else that we, we also talk about? Because I copied my notes over from pages, the, mm-hmm. uh, the Mac, uh, document thingy over to Google docs. So we have like a central location and I didn't, oh yeah. Uh, thank you to Steve Tui, of course. Of Tuiville. Of Tuiville. Yes. T-O-U-H-Y-V-I-L-L-E.com. And, uh, long, as long as we are talking about, uh, a friend from radio, a uh, friend and mentor, I might add. Uh, R-I-P-W-L-U-P. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I was a big Kevin Matthews. Still am big Kevin Matthews I like Kevin Matthews. I was never really a huge fan of W-L-U-P as a station. Uh, that, that was, that was you know, that was just me, but uh, 
being in radio, in the radio industry, and seeing what that station actually did and the profound effect it had on the Chicago radio market, you cannot deny that they did, even though I was not a personal fan, you cannot deny they did great things over there. Oh, absolutely. I mean, to me, I I seem to remember it was, I think it was 1997 when I was driving into Chicago, I was... uh, on 55, just about to get onto Lakeshore Drive, and I could see planes land at Miggs Field, and I had WLUP playing in the playing on the car radio, uh, specifically Kevin Matthews, and I was like, man, this is this is ultimate Chicago for me. There you go. So, but yeah, rip to WLUP 97, 97.9. 97.9. 97.9 on your FM dial, and it's being replaced with contemporary Christian music. Which makes it fitting that the final hour of WLUP <laughs> they start, started with Stairway to Heaven and ended with Highway to Hell, which just proves what I've been saying for months. That oh, station was pretty sucks. much that station got down to nothing more than just ACDC and Led Zeppelin. Every time I'd switch it on, I'd say, "Okay, let's see what they're playing now: ACDC or Led Zeppelin?" Oh, ACDC. They played the last three songs. I don't I don't know remember the correct order, but uh, other than the last one, last three songs they played were Motley Crue, "Shout at the Devil." Yes. Uh, Number of the Beast, and the very last song was Highway to Hell by ACDC. Yes, yes. Well played. (laughs) Very well played. (laughs) And I'm a Christian myself, but I say well played. (laughs) Oh, but anyway. We could go on about that, but that might be another radio episode. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, I'm not. I don't, I don't know if I'm ready to do another radio episode right I, now. I'm they, still, I, we may have talked I, all as, we can as about that. As much fun as we had with that one, and we got some really great feedback from that. Oh, yes, we I'm did. Not re- I'm not ready to do another one. <laughs> so, anyway, this is um 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 really super tired, Sean. In but the we city forgot of to do something though. Oh, what did we forget to do? What are the games we're talking about next time? That's because I forgot what games we're talking about next time, okay. except for iRobot and Turbo iRobot oh, and Turbo. I've been wanting to I, talk about iRobot for quite some time because that's yeah, you have been. one of my all-time favorite games. And um, I tried wow. playing it in MAME and I can't figure the damn thing out. So. It, it's actually once you once you get the hang, once you uh, once you realize what the goal is, it's really not that difficult. Uh, it's just very very abstract. But we'll hmm. we'll talk about more more about that in a couple of weeks. So Ah, yes. So yes, so anyway. iRobot and Turbo. Anyway, this is Super Tired Sean in the almost cursed in the city of uh, Chicago. And this is your old buddy, you know me, you love me, Jimmy G. Clean coal. And bye-bye. See, that was my oxymoron for the week. Oh, very nice. This episode of the Pie Factory podcast was edited and produced by Hyde St. Pierre. Opening and closing theme is The Happy L, composed by Sean Courtney. Love theme from Addenda and Arata was composed by Jim Goble. Follow the Pie Factory podcast online via Facebook, on Twitter at Pie Factory PFP, or on PieFactoryPodcast.com. Support the show at Patreon.com slash Pie Factory Podcast. <laughs>